but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray, and then we will open uh, our texts. This morning, Father, thank you for Reed, for you bringing him to Nicaragua and taking him all the way down there to save him. Um, That's how much you pursue. That's how much you love. We saw you do it with Saul of Tarsus. We've seen it so many times in the lives of those here. We're not worthy, uh, and you love us anyway, and so thank you for that. As I stand up here, Lord, I am once again overwhelmed just with the task at hand that song that we just sang just rings in my heart that I believe in the Holy Spirit because I so need you, Holy Spirit, because I am just a, a sinner who so often I'm a fraud and I'm a fake. I acknowledge that. You know that. Um, and I uh, need you to use me now as you used Peter, as you used Saul, as you've used so many before. Lord, just please use me to encourage your church this morning help us move beyond our comfort zones to to love others like you have loved us, to pursue others like you have pursued us. I can't do that on my own. I I am just emptiness, so I ask you to do it, Lord, through your spirit, so that Christ will be exalted in this place. Lord, our city is broken. We are shootings, what, three this weekend? Um, Father, just people hurting all around us. Let this church and others be your arms um, be, be agents of change that point people to you and give them hope. We, ne- we need you to do that through us, and so help us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9 if you have a Bible. If you don't, there should be one in front of you. Something powerful about a person's story, right? Whether it's read or maybe your story is you, you know, maybe you got saved when you were six years old, grew up in the church. Maybe it was through some college ministry or through a girl or through someone taking you coffee or, you know, whatever it may be, an event in your life that we all have a a story how God opened our eyes. So I love hearing how some of y'all stories about how you came to CBC and the common thread is common like, well, I was a Prespo, Metho, Anglico, Baptisto, something-o. And you're like, and I never would have thought that I would have come to a church like y'all's. <laughs> but then I showed up one Saturday, and then I haven't been back. And now you're one of the crazy people that go here, <laughs> right? And that's love here and how God has moved and how brought. But here's the truth. All of us have a story, maybe five years ago, seven years ago, whatever it is. But the story actually goes beyond that, right? Because If you are not of Jewish heritage, which we have some here that are, but if you are not of Jewish heritage, your story actually goes back beyond 10 years, 20 years. It goes back 2,000 years to the chapter of Scripture that we are going to look at today. Remember when the church began about 30 AD, it was primarily Jewish. It was a Jewish entity. 
You got one Ethiopian eunuch, but he's down there in Ethiopia. He's not, you know, he's not kind of part of the deal. So it, for the first five years, it's pre- predominantly Jewish. And that is about to change in this chapter. And it's going to change because of a little small group Bible study with a Roman and a couple of his buddies. And God is going to bring another guy, and there's going to be a chance meeting And that meeting is going to change the course of history. It's going to change the course of the church. And because of that meeting, you guys are here today, ultimately, right? And so what we're going to do is we're just going to look at that that story, how we got here. Talk a little bit about the significance, because you have to understand, it wasn't easy. It took a guy moving outside of his comfort zone, doing something that he would never do in a million years, but God causes him and moves him to do it anyway, and because of it, it changes the course of the church, and because of it, ultimately, most of us as Gentiles are here today. So let's jump in. We're going to look at Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at 9.32 all the way to the end of 10. The, the narrative actually goes all the way through 11, but we don't have time to cover two chapters, so we'll, we'll come back and pick the rest up next week um, because it's all one big narrative, uh, but here's what we're going to see. As we open this text, it, it's kind of like for those who read Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, you have a split screen deal going on here. You have two stories. Scene one, here's Frodo and Sam, and they're going this way. And scene two, here's Gandalf going this way. And, and, and what's going to happen is it's going to go back and forth. You know, it's maddening when you read the books. You're like, oh man, you just want to get good. And we get over here. What's going to happen is, is Luke's going to take us from scene one to scene two, back to scene one. And eventually those scenes are going to line up and they're going to come together. And we're going to see God do something great because he brings these two scenes together. So we start in the end of chapter 9. And we have these two really random miracles that are kind of placed in. If you read the commentators, they debate, why are these miracles even here? They seem so out of place because we've seen miracles before and it doesn't seem to fit the narrative. But it's not as much the miracles you need to understand that, that the focus is. It's the place in which Peter is at. That's what Luke is highlighting because he's taking you from scene one to scene two and showing you how they meet. So the, the miracles are important, and they're a, but they're a side note of what God is doing behind the scenes. So let's jump into the first one. Now, Peter went here and there among them all, and he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they returned to the Lord. Real, we have a real quick application. High school kids, make your bed. All right? There it is. Okay, make your bed. College kids, make your bed. All right? That's application one. But what you have here is Peter, because the church is spread out all over, he's wandering, and he goes, and he highlights it twice that he goes down to Lydda. Okay, so here's Jerusalem down in here, right here. Lydda is right here by the coast of the Med. So he is down here in Lydda, a guy named Ananias, paralyzed eight years, boom, he makes him walk, right? It's a miracle, and many people believe because of the miracle, just like they have before. But Luke continues. This is scene one again, verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Application number two, young couples. You're looking for a name for your cute little daughter. Dorcas is not it. All right, Tabitha, yes. Dorcas equals counseling. All right, just application right there. But here is this sweet lady, Tabitha, full of good works. Now, where is she at? She is in Joppa. All right, so we are in Lydda right here. 
Now he's moved us to the coast to Joppa. All right? So that's just kind of important to understand where we're going geographically. All right, so she is full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now notice verse 38. Since Lida was close, was near Joppa, he's highlighting locations, the disciples hearing that Peter was there sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So when Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Here is a sweet, generous lady who just gives things and is, is kind and is thoughtful. And the loss of her is overwhelming to the church. They are brokenhearted about it. And so they're weeping and they're showing Peter and they're just, they don't understand. So Peter put them all outside. He knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed. I, I, we have seen Jesus raise someone from the dead. We have not yet, until this point, see one of his apostles do it. But here it happens, and we're going to see it again, because the apostle Paul is going to be preaching. It's late at night. He's kind of boring. Guy falls out of the balcony. He goes over, raises him from the dead. I, I can't do that. So if y'all fall asleep in the balcony, it's on y'all, all right? Just so you know. But it, it, it's the point of the miracle is what? That many believed in the Lord, right? And this is unbelievable that this woman comes back to life. But again, notice what Luke highlights. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. He stays in the house of a guy named Simon, same name as him, who owns a spray tan business on the med. All right? Uh, not really. Okay? But a tanner was a person who killed animals, skinned animals, and sold animals. If you were a Jewish person, there was a stigma to this. You would not want to stay at this guy's house. If Peter's buddies knew that he was staying at a tanner, they'd be like, Peter, what are you doing? This guy was considered unclean. He would actually have to live outside of the city. But Luke is setting you up. Now he is in Joppa. So he has gone Jerusalem to Lydda. Now he is in Joppa. That's scene one. Then all of a sudden, boom, he's going to switch. He's going to go up the coast. We've been in Joppa. Now we're going to Caesarea Maritima, right? Which is a city that's in Israel in the time. It's the fifth largest city in Palestine. It's a very significant city. Fifth largest city in America, just for a comparison, is Philadelphia, which in itself is a very important city. All right, for many reasons, okay? But just to give you an idea of the fact that this is a big city and we're introduced to a new guy here in scene two. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. And we find several facts about him. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So you have this Roman soldier. He's a mid-level officer, he is a centurion. He's in charge of 100 men. He's in a cohort, which is 600 men. So he's one of six guys who leads a group of men. So he's probably equivalent of a lieutenant, a captain, maybe an NCO, okay, as far as military goes. So a mid-level officer. 
He, for some reason, some reason, has put aside his polytheistic background where they worship Caesar and all these guys. And he has come to believe that the God of Israel, of Yahweh, is the one true God. So he is a devout man. His family is devout. He is generous. He gives his salary. He gives alms to all the Jewish people. And he is a prayer warrior. If he was living today, we would call this guy a seeker. Right? He doesn't know all the, he doesn't know all the stuff. He doesn't have full revelation yet. But he's responding to the light that he has been given. And so he is, he's a good dude, and he's, he's seeking the God of Israel. Scene two, he's seeking. And so as he does, verse three, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he said, stare at him in terror, because anytime an angel shows up, there's terror, even for a hardened soldier like this guy. He says, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. They don't have Google Maps. They don't have addresses. There's no zip codes. So he says, go down to Joppa, go to the Tantastic. There's a guy named Peter there. Ask for Peter and and bring him back to your house and he'll tell you what you need to know. Verse 7 and 8, he does it. So now we have scene 1 over here, Peter's in Joppa. Scene 2. We got Cornelius up in Caesarea. Now we jump back, verse 9, to scene 1. The next day, as they were on their journey, approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That's noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Of course, it's lunchtime. He's hungry. They're making his dinner, his lunch. And while he's there, while they're preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet. And it's a word for sail in the Greek. So it's this great big sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. All these unclean animals. You got seagulls and hawks and armadillas and reptiles and snakes. And and if you're from Texas, the chupacabras and, and everything else in this sheet. Things that would be disgusting to a Jew. And quite possibly the second greatest words in the New Testament besides John 3.16. Peter, kill and eat. This is where bacon becomes legal, y'all. All right? <laughs> this is where Georgia barbecue is now officially sanctioned by God. I mean, you should go to Sandfly Barbecue today just because of this text. All right? He says, Peter... Kill, and the word is for sacrifice. Kill and eat. Sacrifice. Eat it, Peter. And Peter does what he does so well. He tells God, no. Right? Every time, how many times have we seen Peter tell, I'm going to Jerusalem to be be killed. No, you're not. I'm going to wash your feet. No, you're not. You're going to deny me. No, I'm not. Kill and eat. No way. Right? By no means, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. Peter loves threes, right? Denies three times, has to tell Jesus he loves him three times, has to be told this three times. He still doesn't get it. But what God is doing now here is is something different, is something new. And what he's trying to highlight is those things that separated Jew and Gentile in the Old Testament... Bacon, hot dogs, they're no longer an issue. Those external things are done. They're gone. 
That ceremonial law, done. Kill, eat, Peter. There's no more distinctions there, Peter, right? It's huge. But here's the problem. Peter has a religious culture that is so ingrained in him, he can't hear what God's doing. His religious culture is not allowing him to hear God speak three times. And the question we got to ask is, Southern Christian, does our culture sometimes ever make us not hear what God may be saying? Because this is the way we do it in the South. Ever? I think so. And so Peter is perplexed. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, three times God said, do this, do this. He doesn't get it. He's perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, and now Luke is bringing you in the word behold, adieu in the, in the Greek. It's like see. He's trying to show you that scene one is meeting scene two right now, and they've been working their way together. Now they're together. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. This is great. Peter's up there thinking, unclean, clean. What does that mean? Bacon. Unclean. And then at the same time, it's ding dong. Is there a dude named Peter up here getting a tan? And he looks down and he sees what? Unclean. And it's like, oh, he's, he's kind of starting to get it. And while Peter was pondering the vision, and now I love the patience of God with Peter. He's, the spirit has to say to him, um, behold, the, the three men are down looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. It's a soldier. You don't want to just go with a Roman soldier. All right, they killed your master a couple years earlier. So you're not just going to naturally say, I have sent them, right? And so Peter went down to meet them and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they, and they said, Cornelius, a centurion, um, an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken by the whole Jewish nation, was, directing, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house, to hear what you have to say. So he invited him in. So he just recaps, angel, prayer, come down, you getting a tan, here we are. And this is where we're at. He invites them in, and the next day, they leave together. They, they go to Caesarea from Joppa. The next day, he rose and went away. Here, here, here's where we've been the last couple weeks. Peter has absolute clarity on what God has called him to do. Go with these men. He has no certainty on what's on the, other, on the side. He doesn't know what he's going to. He just knows there's a guy named Cornelius. He sent for him, and God said, go. So that's all he knows. And this is, a, this is a radical thing for Peter to go with a bunch of Gentiles to this guy that he's never met before. And he has no clue what to expect when he gets there. And I can promise you he wasn't expecting what happens when he gets there. They, they go with some of the brothers. He brings six guys with him, we find out from the next chapter. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. He had called together his relatives. You love it? Everybody he knows, all his soldiers, his neighbors, his buddies. He brings them all. He's like, there's some guy coming. The angel told me. So come on, and he's got something important to say. What does he got to say? I don't know. But they're coming. You need to come. We're going to have a barbecue. We're going to eat bacon. Come on. And so when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. I can guarantee Peter did not see that coming. That his conqueror, the nation that is in charge, that conquered them, is bowing down and worshiping him, which is not a good thing. But I can guarantee he didn't see that coming. And he says, no, 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 I'm just a man. Get up. And he talked with him, and he went in, and I love this. And he went into the room, and he found many persons gathered. I can guarantee he did not see that coming. He walks into the room and there is a rabble of people that he would never in a million years be associated with. 
No way. I mean, we're talking cultural divide. We are talking racial divide. We're talking, he is the, for the first time in Peter's life, he is the minority. He would never put himself in that position, ever. I mean, you're talking about a room of Gentiles. They look different. They dress different. They eat different. They talk different. They smell different. Everything is different. And let me tell you, it is not a comfy place to be there. I can tell you the first time in my life that I ever was in, not necessarily that one, but a similar situation. A couple years back, I flew to Tanzania with one of my buddies from seminary. We're meeting Chittister, one of our guys there. He was in Uganda, and he made us. So we go into Tanzania, which is a Muslim nation. We get on an African bus, which in itself is an adventure. Forget Disney World, y'all. Get on an African bus. The irony, we are on an African bus traveling 800 kilometers east into the, into the wilderness. We are, they put a movie in on a VCR, Delta Force. Okay, Delta Force, terrorist, hijacks plane, Muslims. I'm like, please, I need some Chuck Norris right next to me right now, okay? <laughs> Chuck Norris, where are you? So we're driving, and we go on this bus, and I'm like, we're, we're going to die. They're going to realize. So we go, and we get, ha- they stop at this rest area halfway there. And you get out of the bus. No cell phones, no nothing, all right? You know, little five, six white boy in the middle of Islam country with my buddy, a seminary student, Chittister, who looks like Santa Claus, okay? <laughs> and we get off at this rest stop, and it's a mosque and a restaurant, all right, in the middle of nowhere, and walk into this big room that's a restaurant, and it's just, I mean, you are, it is evident that we stand out. And I'm like, we're going to die. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking, I go up to the table, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to try to eat something and act normal. I'm going to blend in, yeah. I'm going to blend in with my cowboy boots and my baseball hat, right? And they give me, and like, all they have is a fish. They give me a whole fish. I'm like, what do I do with a fish? I don't even know how to eat a fish. I'm used to fish sticks. Do you have fish sticks? <laughs> I mean, I mean, a whole fish, and I'm just like, what do I, let me tell you how uncomfortable I felt. You might even tell you how nervous I felt. That's where Peter's at right now. He's in a room that he is not normally in, that he would never be in, and it is uncomfortable for him. But here's what I love. Peter is Peter, and he's uncomfortable, but he's going to open his mouth, because that's what Peter does best. And so when Peter, he, he, Peter opens his mouth, he said, this, don't, I'm not advised, if I would have done this in Tanzania, I wouldn't be here today. But he says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or associate with any other nation. What he says is, you know we don't like y'all. And you know we would never do this, ever. We wouldn't stoop to be in this room. You smell, you eat bacon. We don't like y'all. That, getting it, yes. Tact, No. All right? But he, he's moving towards the light bulb is going off. He, and he said, oh, y'all are a bunch of lizards. Y'all are a bunch of pigs. You're a bunch of chupacabras. But, I love this, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's a huge statement. God has God put me here. I, my culture would not let me in this room, but God has me here out of my comfort zone. So what do you need? Here I am. And the question for us this morning we got to start asking is, would God ever put you in a place that is out of your comfort zone to go move forward and love someone that is not like you? 
that in the end will not end up just changing their lives, but will change your life? And I think the answer is yes. That's what he does all the time. And because Peter does it, it changes the world. And so Cornelius kind of recaps in verse 30 through 33. His angel shows up, tells me to say what you see. So Peter, after responding, he says, he opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. This is a ginormous statement. I mean, these people have never heard a religious person like Peter say that to them. All they have is Jews who when they are close to them, they will walk around and they will look down on them and they will hate them. And for Peter to come in the room and say, in essence, I realize now, Mr. Lizard, that God loves us, he loves you too. That there's actually no difference between me and you. God saves us. God saves you. We are clean by God. You are clean by I am getting it. It is a radical statement that we are the same. That we are the same. And you have to, to appreciate the text, you have to remember, where would you and I be in this room? Would we want to be one of Peter's buddies? Not most of us. We would be sitting in the corner eating bacon. That's where we were. We were on the outside, and now we are on the inside because of this meeting, because of what happens. And here's, here's where we have to go. This is, this is the general thought. Do we ever treat people differently because of the way they look? Do we ever treat people differently because of the affiliation with this group of people, or because they have this, or because they act like this. Do we ever do that? Even subtly? And I think the answer sometimes is, yep. I see it all the time in me. Most of you know I study out. I know every coffee shop in town. I know who has the best coffee. <laughs> and I work out, and I have my little scully on, and my earphones up, and someone will come up to me and start talking to me. Sometimes you just meet some of y'all, and you're like, ah, let me introduce you to so-and-so. And, and, and the perception when they first see me is, College guy milking his parents. That's what they think. Well, because I'm short, I look a little young, little, little earphones, okay? College guy milking off his parents. And then when they hear, this is my pastor, it's like, oh, he's a white collar guy. He went to college. And there's an immediate difference of the way they look at me. See it all the time? See all the time when I talk to people? They'll be, I'll be just talking, hey, what's going on, you know, like, like, cussing up a storm, and blah, blah, blah. And then they find out, oh, you're a pastor. Well, God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. All the time. It's amazing how sanctified people go when I walk in the room. I mean, it's... But the, well, the question is, do you ever look at people differently or treat them differently because of whatever? I mean, do you? Because, oh, he's got tattoos, he's this. Or, or they're, they're, they hang out with those people over there. They wear skinny jeans, they dress like this, they act like this. Do, do we ever do it? Young people? You're looking at oh, older people, they don't know what's going on. Older people looking down on younger people, oh, they don't know what's going on. Married people looking down on singles, single looking down. Do, do we ever do it? Oh, I can't believe he voted for so-and-so. I can't believe they did. Do we look at people differently because of what they do? Because they're rich, I don't like them. Because they're poor, I don't like them. Because they live here, because they live there. Do we ever do it? I, I think if we're honest, sometimes we do. And it goes both ways, Right? It's not just this, it's everybody. And so the question is, could God be calling me to love someone who is not like me that puts me out of my comfort zone? 
that I don't naturally connect with? Is he calling me to do it anyway? The answer is he is. Like, I don't naturally, I mean, most people think, oh, you must just extrovert. I am not an extrovert. I am an introvert. I am. I don't naturally connect, and I am a very simple dude. I'm not even meat and potatoes. I'm just meat. And, and, and living in a town where it's all about organic tofu ravioli and eating a side of grass and drinking some peach milk with it, I mean, that is not me. All right? I'm not Mr. Eclectical. Have you listened to the new indie? I'm out. Okay? I'm a very simple. And so for me to connect with people who are not like me, I'm not artistic. I, I, my, my wife is super artistic. I am not. Artistic films, if it's not Cold War era, Red Dawn and Rocky IV, I'm out. So I don't naturally connect with a, na- a lot of people, but that is not an excuse for me to say, well, I'll just hang out with people that like Rocky IV. I'll just like people that like the same things I do. It's not an excuse. Because, it, because oh, they, they make me feel uncomfortable. Well, they're different than me. Yeah. God has called us to love the different, to move towards them. But I don't, I don't understand them. It doesn't matter. Makes me uncomfortable. It doesn't matter. And I'm not talking about, here's where we, here's a church how we kind of check the box and we go, we, we write a check. Yeah, I'll write a check to you know, this and I'll, I'll make a shoebox and mail it off. These are all good things. But we're talking about being in their lives, engaged with that person in conversation, in life, and hanging out. We're talking in, in incarnational ministry because it's all rooted back to, to one little text in John 1 that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. The word being Jesus. I can tell you there was nothing more uncomfortable in the world than leaving the glories of heaven where you worship day and night and all power and glory and authority is yours. There's nothing more uncomfortable than leaving that and becoming a carpenter and emptying yourself and then hanging out and getting in trouble for being with, with the rabble like us. But that's exactly what the Savior does. And now he says that. I love the people that are different. You were different. I was holy. You were not. I loved you. Now you love the different. And it's not because of what they do or what. It's all based on the image of God because he has, we have value based on the image of God. Jesus values people. So he says, you move towards people. But they're different. Exactly. So were you. And that's where the text is. And Peter is starting to get it. And, and, and we can't use Christian culture, Southern culture, difficult as an excuse. Peter is starting to get it. And so he says, God shows no partiality. I see that now. God loves lizards and seagulls and chupacabras. He loves them all. Some of you need to go to Texas. Okay, chupacabra is not real, just so you know. <laughs> it's a mythical animal that eats sheep at night, okay? <laughs> Do a Google on it. But Peter said, I get it now. God doesn't show partiality. And so he preaches. He opens his mouth. He said, I'm here to preach. He preaches the same exact sermon he's preached like five times already. Peter doesn't have, he's only got one sermon. He preaches the same thing every time. All right, so he doesn't study hard. He just preaches the same sermon over and over and over again. All right, well, I need to do that. I'm just gonna come back next week and preach the sermon again. But, but he says, very simply, he says, God shows no partiality in every nation. Anyone who, will hear, who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He's been highlighting it. Jesus is God. He's the Lord. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Said it a thousand times, says it again. And here's what he did. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. 
for God was with him. He, he was God. He lived the perfect life. He lived the sinless life that you couldn't live. He, he overcome the devil. He healed people. And then here's what happened. We are witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not, only to, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him as he rose from the dead. He was God. He lived the perfect life. They killed him, but he came back. And we saw him, and we ate with him, and we hung out with him. And now he has told us, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So you guys have your little Roman gods and you have all your stuff. You have, if you wanna be forgiven, you gotta believe in him. He was God, lived the perfect life, died on a cross, rose again. And now he is coming to judge the living and the dead. And forgiveness of sins is only in him. And it's the exclusivity of Christ that Peter keeps coming back to time and time again, that by him, sins are forgiven. There's no other name under heaven by which men are saved, right? And here's the best part, as a preacher, he's just bringing in this puppy for a landing. He's got his closing illustration coming. And, and all of a sudden, boom, the greatest sermon interruption ever. The Holy Spirit shows up and it's like, you're done, Peter, hush. Wait, but I still got a meal. Hush, I got this. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And all the believers from the circumcised, all the Jewish guys that came with him, they're amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. They have a Pentecost. And it doesn't say it, but I can assume that the, the flame was there and the wind, the rushing wind that came in Acts 2. They have the same experience. Why? Because God is validating that there's no JV varsity, that they are all church, that they are all his, that there is no partiality, that God loves Gentiles and Jews alike. And, and here's the beauty. There was no sinner's prayer. There was no invitation. Why not? Come on, Peter, bring them down front. Get them saved. Why don't they do it? How is it the Holy Spirit falls? Because they believed. How is a person saved? Their faith, not their aisle walk. And so Peter's teaching the truth. He says, Jesus died for his sins. He rose again. They believe it. And as soon as they believe, the Holy Spirit falls. People are amazed. The Spirit comes. And then Peter's like, all right. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who receive the Holy Spirit just as we? And they commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they asked him to remain for some days. And for those who say, just about as a side note, that baptism is necessary for salvation, they got the Spirit before they got baptized. All right, they were regenerated, they were born again before they were baptized. So it's always salvation's by grace through faith. We are baptized as a symbol not to save us. And here's proof of it. But Peter hangs out, and the church is changed radically from this point on. Jew and Gentile together as one. Is that cause trouble? Oh, yeah. Read Ephesians 2. It's still causing trouble a couple years after this. But it's glorious, and it's why you are here, because one guy, one guy did something risky, countercultural. And he didn't go out of his way to do it. He wasn't looking for it. He was just doing what God had called him to do, and he finds himself in a place and boom. And here's the irony of the passage. You are here because someone did something risky. And now the the hard thing for us, the very thing that was done for us to bring us in is the thing that we struggle to do for other people, to love people that are different. 
Because we love safety and, oh, look how bad the world is and let's build a wall and make the church, you know, let's talk about how bad it is in here and how bad everyone is out there and let's kind of put a guard up and protect ourselves. And when that happens, the church becomes inward focused. They become arrogant, elitist, proud. Everyone looks the same, does the same, and we cease to be the church. And we got to guard against it because God has called you and I to love those who are different from ourselves. It's easy to love those the same, y'all. It's easy to love the guy in the frat you went to at Georgia. It's easy to love all the Georgia fans. It's easy to love all the this. It's not for those who are uncomfortable to be around, but that's exactly the ones he's called us to. And so you want your one application for today, you want your one point, you ask the question this, who are the uncomfortable people in my life that God has put there? And you don't have to look far that God is calling you to love, that God is calling you to actually move towards. You say, well, I don't know if he's really calling me. He is. I just, he told me to tell you, okay? Because that's what he's done. You don't have to look far for people that are different. Do you realize that SCAD alone has over 100 different countries represented in this town? 100 different nations represented just from SCAD. That, that Armstrong's got another 70. People that are different all around. And it might just be you going up and saying, man, where are you from? Tell me your story. I want, I'd love to hear about it. Simple. Entering into their life, listening, caring about someone who's different. It might be the uncomfortable person who lives across the street that drives you nuts. It probably is for most of us. It might be that couple, that, that same-sex couple that lives in your neighborhood, and they've invited you to their Christmas party every year, and you still haven't gone. You need to go. You need to go. Right? It, it might be a, a parent you haven't talked to in 10 years because they hurt you, and that you just need to pursue that. High schoolers, middle schoolers, you know what it is for you guys? It's when that new person comes into the Sunday school class, there is nothing worse than being the new kid in the high school Sunday school class. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than, I remember when I was in like sixth grade and my grandmother was like, you need to go to the Sunday school class. I'm like, no, I hate the Sunday school class. This want to go with you. And she drops me off in some class, and I feel like this weirdo that's from a different state just sitting in the corner. But, and no, I cannot remember one time anyone ever coming, hey, come hang with us. Is that uncomfortable for you when you're with your little buddies and your little friends over here? Yes, it is. But that's what God has called you to do, middle schooler and high schooler, is to bring them in. Hey, you want to hang with us? We're going to Barb's afterwards. We're going to get some sand because Pastor Bill said to do it. Eat some bacon and drink Coke. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? These are the hard ones. It might mean that you're going to go this Thanksgiving and serve in a soup kitchen and, and help some people. Something's different. You I, I, Look, I can't tell you what it is, but I trust the Holy Spirit who led Peter here. I trust him enough. You know. So I'm just going to ask him, which I've been asking him this week might be fostering, it might be adopting, it might be a short-term mission trip that you need to get out of the country just to see what other, I don't know what it is, but, but Holy Spirit knows and he's gonna tell you if you're listening. So as we move to worship, ask him, hey, help me, Lord, to see the eyes of the people that are around me because you value them. We watched, last weekend I rented the movie Maleficent. 
for the kiddies. I always loved Sleeping Beauty growing up. I thought it was great, right? And so we watched the movie, and it's completely different, y'all. I'll probably end up spoiling it by the end of this illustration, so just, you don't need to run it. But here we go. So there's, but there's this great scene in the movie. If you ever wondered how Maleficent gets her little crow, can't even say it. <laughs> Angelina Jolie, how she gets the crow, okay? It's in that movie, right? They don't tell you in the, in the original Disney, but so she she's comes across this crow that's about to be killed by a hunter, and she saves the crow's life by making it a person, right? And the guy's like, ah, and he freaks out and he runs away. And so this crow, i.e. now a person, is mad at first at Maleficent and says, what? You ruined me. But then he comes to his senses because she says, I saved your life. I rescued you. And it's like, he's like, oh, yeah. And then he says to her, forgive me. I am your servant. What do you want me to do? And she responds. She says, I want you to be my wings. Because the bad guy cut her wings off. Because she get them back in the end. Don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> but this idea of you save my life. What do you want me to do? And Jesus is saying to us as a church this morning, CBC, I saved your eternal life. I rescued you. I took your wrath. And the response for us is, okay, what do you want us to do? And what he says is, I want you to be my wings. I want you to be my people to the people of Savannah. I want you to love people that were like you, that were different. I want you to be my wings. That's, that's what we are. That's what he's called us to be. He's shown no partiality. You are here because a guy was the wings. And now he says, now it's your turn. And you don't have to be perfect, and you don't have to be smart, and you don't have to be anything. You just have to be willing to love people different. That's what God's called us to do. And as we do it, he will grow his church. And so as we worship, once you ask that the Holy Spirit would impress upon you someone that you need to be the wings for, right? Why don't you guys stand and we will worship. Father in heaven, you have loved us so perfectly. Now you have called us to tell and love people like you have loved us. You have sent us to a culture that we don't understand sometimes. But Lord, help us to be seeing with the eyes of Christ. People that make us feel uncomfortable, that are different, that you would help us to love them well because you have loved them well. That we would be your light, that we would be your wings, that you would grow this church like you grow the early church, that folks would hear about forgiveness of sins in Christ and have new life. They would hear the good news, as Peter says. It's the good news of peace. In Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You are our Lord. You are our King. You are worthy. You are the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And so we worship you this morning. Spirit, just speak to our hearts as we respond. In Christ's name we pray.